All right, Genesis chapter 1. We've got a heavy task this morning because God is heavy. God is weighty. Uh, God is supremely valuable. He's supremely beautiful. He is the, the treasure hidden in the field. It's God himself. That's the good news of the gospel. In fact, God is the gospel. God is the ultimate good news. So you can put a capital G on gospel. God is the gospel. And uh, he's supremely worthy of praise, supremely worthy of adoration. And we as human beings, your purpose, if you're looking for the meaning of your life this morning, it's to praise God, it's to worship God and enjoy God forever. That's a, and the more you know of God and the more we see his beauty, um, the less burdensome that command is. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He says, my burden is light. Uh, come and take it. Uh, come and bring me your sin. Bring me your burden. Take mine. It's light. And that, that coming to him is what you're made for, to enjoy him forever. So this morning, I just wanted, we're going to rewind the tape. We're going to go back in time to a time when there was before time. We're on the brink of the ineffable, uh, the unimaginable, uh, the mysterious. Uh, and so there's some things that will remain a mystery, obviously. We're not going to cover all of it. Um, but Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed uh, belong to us and our children forever and ever. I love that passage. So here's Genesis chapter 1, a passage that many of us are, many of you are familiar with. Um, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Let's pray for help. Oh, Father. Great God, you are the, the supreme, you are the sweetness that we were made to pant after, to hunger for, to thirst after. God, apart from you, as we, we come to you this morning and are just confessing our arrogance, my arrogance, God, uh, my desire to want to be you, my desire to want to rule, my, my self-absorption, God, I confess my self-worship this morning. God, in my forgetfulness of you, God, I just thank you for this morning. God, just the reminder that no one takes your life. You lay it down. Father, Lord, I thank you for reminding us yet again this morning. I just pray you would remind us of your worth, your supremacy, your weight, your glory, your beauty, and God, I pray you would just help us to forget ourselves this morning. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Genesis. The, the name Genesis, um, in case you did not know, it uh, is origin. It literally means origin or beginning. Um, the great uh, commentator, one of the commentators that I was reading um, and studying uh, this morning, um, his name is Dr. Henry Morris. 
and Kurt had loaned me his copy of his commentary, and I thank you for it. Uh, I was really blessed reading it. Uh, he describes Genesis as describing the following origins. Just listen to what originated, what began, the description of the beginning of these things. The origin of the universe is described in Genesis. The order, origin of order and complexity. The origin of the solar system. The origin of the atmosphere and the hydrosphere. The origin of life. The origin of humanity. The origin of marriage. The origin of evil. The origin of language. The origin of government. The origin of culture. The origin of nations. The order, origin of religion. And the origin of the chosen people. All are described in the book of origins. Genesis. And we have in Genesis this morning... The, the creation of the theater, if you can imagine this, everything that you call reality, that you open your eyes and see, that your five senses experience, this, if you can just think of it as a theater or a stage, Genesis is the creation of that stage, of that theater, that God freely, out of his own free will, chose to display his glory in. Not because he was bound, not because he was forced he freely chose to create this theater, and he chose this theater to display or showcase his glory in. And so we're going to get a week by week, every week we're going to watch this creator set the stage, if you will, for the revelation, the ultimate meaning of it all, the revelation of the God-man, Jesus Christ. All of this stuff that is taking place in Genesis, all of, this, all of these origins were originated, began, in order to showcase God's glory in the face of the God-man, Jesus Christ. That is what all of this is about. That is why we're here this morning. That is why matter exists. That is why God is holding your body together in this very moment. For It is for the purpose of God's worship of himself in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to go back in time, and this is just awesome, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So time itself, these are just unimaginable, mysterious things. There was a time when time did not exist. That's just an unbelievable thought just to think about. And before this time existed, before Genesis 1 and the creation of day and night and the water and the vegetation and the fish and the, the birds swarming and the creation of man and woman, just rewind it all back, 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 back. Before it all began, there was one being. And that one being had existed from all of eternity, God. And God in the Old Testament reveals himself as Yahweh. The name of God. Anytime you see L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, in capital letters, caps locks, that's God's name. Yahweh. The solitariness of God is our first point this morning. The solitariness of God, meaning the, the aloneness of God. For all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit dwelt in fellowship with one another from an eternity past. And I had lunch with somebody this past week, and he said, well, what did God do? 
for all of eternity before God created the universe. You know what I said? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> you got to be okay with saying, I don't know. I mean, he did God's stuff. I don't like God did. He, I, we know some things. This is at Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things, they belong to God. Things revealed belong to us and our children forever. There are things that he's revealed. We know that he was, was happy. We know that he was solitary. We know there's a Father, a Son, and a Spirit. That he had community within himself for all of eternity. I want to, I want to describe some of this. Let's just, let's just look at the things revealed. And let God worry about the mysterious things. God's revealed to us what we're supposed to know. Look at Isaiah 45 with me. Isaiah 45. And we're going to just use a lot of scripture this morning. Because you didn't come here to hear our opinion. You came here to get God's word. Isaiah 45, 18 to 25. Uh, just let the revelation of God just wash over you. For thus says the Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital letters. For thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens, in parentheses here, in case you did not know it, He is God, exclamation point, in the parenthetical statement. This Yahweh, God, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited, exclamation point. I love the exclamation points in the Bible. I am the Lord, and there is no other. This is an exclusive. He's not sharing his throne with anybody. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right, almighty man. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge. Who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. I don't need to swear by another. From by my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, all righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed, all who are incensed against him. In the Lord... All the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. There was an eternity before this universe, as we now know it existed. There was an eternity where no angels, no seraphim, and no cherubim had yet existed. And there he was, alone as God. There he was, and there he still is, the ultimate reality. And we cannot allow our feelings and our emotions and our intuitions to shape our perceptions of who God is. He is who He is. He is the way He is. Whether we want Him to be different or not, it does not change God. God could have chosen to dwell in fellowship within a trinity forever. He was content. He was happy. Who says He had to do anything? 
Who says he had to create you? Who says he had to put you in the United States of America? Who said he had to put you in a Christian home? Who says he had to do anything? God does whatever he pleases. I am God and there is no other. He doesn't have to display his glory. He's not gaining anything. He's not a gainer of anything by displaying his glory. Consider the mind of God. Consider the wisdom of God. Consider the will of God. Consider the infinite energy of God. He's never been tired. Consider the pleasure of God. Consider the character of God and all of His attributes. Infinite in justice. Infinite in wrath. Infinite in love. Infinite in mercy. Infinite in grace. He's all of them, not some of them. We don't. He's not a buffet line. We don't go through the buffet line and pick out the attributes of God we like and leave the rest on the table. We're going to have the whole meal. He's the whole meal. There alone, alone, in infinite glory and infinite beauty is God in all of His complexities. A multifaceted diamond. Which leads to the second question we've already hit on a little bit, or the second point, sub-point. In the beginning, God, A, solitariness of God, B, self-sufficiency of God, in need of nothing. He is totally sufficient within himself to do it all. Does not add to his glory by creating this universe? Does not add to his glory by creating this reality that we now know? He just simply displays his glory and showcases his glory in the things that have been made. He does not need a single solitary thing outside of himself. Not one, because he is perfect. And if you're perfect, there's nothing, nothing to be gained. Nothing to be You don't add to perfection. Perfection is perfection. He is utterly, absolutely, 150% perfect. He gains nothing, not even this morning we're worshiping him. Do you think he gains anything by our worship of him? Not an ounce. Not a shred. Nothing does he gain from our worship of him. He is eternal. He is eternally energized. He alone possesses immortality. I'm not making it up, guys. 1 Timothy 6, 13-16, just a snippet of that. He is the blessed and only Sovereign, capital S. The King, capital K, of all kings, lowercase kings. The Lord, capital L, of lords, lowercase l. Who alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to this great God, this Lord, be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Period. Job 42, verse 2. And by the way, Job ended up on the receiving end of a rebuke from the Lord himself, not a place you want to be in. Four chapters, Job 38, 9, 40, 41. God rebukes Job out of, the, out of the whirlwind. Job repents in 42. He says to God, I know that you, God, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Not a single purpose of the Lord can ever hope to be thwarted, thrown off course, damaged, 
changed. When God says, let there be light, the light does not talk back to God and say no. When God says, let there be light, the light does not say, hey, I'll wait a minute. The light says, there was light. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is God dwelling in eternity. He's perfect. Isaiah 46, 8-13, Remember this and stand firm. Recall to mind, you sinners. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Call a bird of prey from the east, the man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness, I bring my righteousness. I bring it near. It is not far off. My salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. And has he not done it? Is Jesus Christ not our salvation? Has, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to get to that in a minute. Point C, from all of eternity, there was joy in God. God is a joyful, God is the joyful being. So just think about this for a second. If you were sinless, and you were perfect, and then nothing could be added to your glory, would you be happy? Would you be distressed? Would you be stressful? Would you be anxious about anything? If you were perfect, absolutely perfect, and no plan of yours could ever be thwarted? God is absolutely happy. He is, as what's that uh, Doug Dynasty dude, happy, happy, happy. He is happy, happy, happy. God is alone. He is completely sufficient in himself. He is in need of nothing. And he is eternally joyful. I'm not making that up either. Psalm 16, verse 11. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's in the presence of God? Fullness. Not halfway, not a half a cup. He's a full, full meal deal joy. Isaiah 42.1 Now look at this. This is getting into the Trinity. This is the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Are they happy with one another? Isaiah 42, verse 1, a prophecy about the coming Christ, the coming God-man. Behold, my servant Jesus, we know as Jesus, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. How does the Father feel about His Son? How has the Father felt about His Son from all eternity? Delight. I have put my Spirit upon Him, and He will bring forth justice to the nations. We flock to the movie theater to watch Superman, don't we? We flock to the movie theater to watch all the superhero movies, the Avengers, all of them. All these things are just distant, tiny, little fragments of our sinful imaginations. Jesus Christ is the ultimate hero. He is the ultimate superman, the God-man. And He will bring forth justice to the nations. That is a promise. 
Isaiah 9 verse 3, and his delight shall be, what is Jesus doing? His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. So Jesus is now delighting in the Father and delighting in the, within the Trinity. And in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, and when Jesus was baptized, what happened? Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. All three members of the Trinity present at the baptism of Christ. Pleasure was present at the baptism of Christ. And then look at what's going on in us. What is he doing with us? Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. God is sanctifying you, making you more like him, making you more and more holy, for his good pleasure. There's no other reason. Does he have to? Who says God has to make you holy? Who says God has to do anything? God does it by his mere pleasure. He's happy to do it. Out of the overflow of the joy that he has within himself, he creates a universe and he's recreating a people, the church, by his mere pleasure. Because he's happy to do it. Luke 10, 21, In that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, second person, and said, I thank you, Father, third person, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. That's grace. So we have become like little children. We're humble. He's made us teachable. He's broken us like a wild horse. He's broken you. He's brought you in. He's meeked you. You've been brought under His yoke. And it's not a burdensome thing. So Philippians 4.4, 4, we as His image bearers, if we are made in His image and God is joyful, should we not also be joyful? Paul thinks so. Philippians 4 verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Point number two. So here is this God, eternally alone, solitary, eternally self-sufficient, eternally happy, and as we just talked about, out of the overflow of this joy, point number two, God created the heavens and the earth with absolute freedom, with absolute energy, and with absolute joy. I'm not making this up either. Job 38, 3-7. Here is the opening rebuke of God to Job. Just thrashing like a man, Job, or you could say almighty man, you could put me in there. Any of us. Just thrashing like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Tell me. It's like, play tell. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Listen. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. That's what, how the universe was made. Joy. It was a joyful creation. Proverbs 8, 27 and 31. You can make a strong argument that Jesus Christ is the manifestation of this wisdom being described here. When he established the heavens, I was there. 
when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made fair in the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, when I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So the universe was created. So the theater to display his glory was made. Point number three, light and darkness and the foreshadowing illustration of Jesus Christ. Light and darkness and the foreshadowing illustration of Jesus Christ. Theater's been made. Stage has been set for what purpose? What's the, 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 the big, giant master plan of God? Where is it all heading? Did he just create everything, just go sit up in a recliner, and just, all right, I'm done? Or is there an ultimate end, an ultimate aim, an ultimate trajectory, a focus of it all? Where is it going? Well, look at, look at Genesis chapter 1, and there's an illustration here that God has given us that's revealed for us in, in the book of Corinthians. Paul in Corinthians goes back to creation to illustrate a profound, earth-shattering, mind-blowing, awesome point. So you've got darkness that God has made. I want to make just a quick side note right there. God is present in the darkness. So you who are going through a dark season of your life, God is not just present only in light. God is present in darkness too. God is present everywhere. So there's darkness. God is present even in the darkness. And then you have the Spirit hovering over the dark water. Something mysterious and kind of eerie about dark water, isn't there? I mean, you go to the, I love going to the ocean. And I love walking down the beach at night. But how many people are swimming at night? There's not anybody out there. Who wants to go swimming in the ocean at night? What is it about the ocean at night? It's just, it's kind of eerie, isn't it? It's spooky. There's stuff in there. I don't know. I can't see anything. It's spooky. Well, here it is. Before light even existed, you had the Spirit of God hovering. Uh, the Hebrew word for that can also, it's like brood, like a, like a chicken brooding over her eggs, over her chicks. Here is the Spirit hovering over the darkened water. And then God, what does He do? He brings light into the darkness and he separates night from day. He creates light and there's darkness. So the question is, is, is this creation of the universe, and this verse, verse 5 right here is kind of a, like a summary of all of the first couple of chapters of Genesis. You've got the heavens and the earth being created here. Just a quick summary statement. It's not the end of the story. You've got this creation, and it's serving as, as an illustration of a deep spiritual reality. So you've got God out of mere pleasure of his own free will. He creates this theater, and, this, and in this theater, he's created props, just like you'd have a theater that we would have. You've got props, you've got lighting, obviously, and you've got characters that are going to be on this, uh, in this drama, if you will. 
And all of it is pointing to this ultimate crescendo, this ultimate climax, and this apex, the meaning of it all. And here it is. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6. This is awesome. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled. That, that means that not everybody's going to get it. Not everybody's getting it. Not everybody sees it. As Jesus says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him who has eyes to see, let him see. There's a veiling of this good news. It's veiled, and it's veiled, Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, lowercase g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, notice what Paul is doing here. This is profound. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's going back to Genesis chapter 1. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is taking us back to the creation of the universe in order he's using that as an illustration to make a profound spiritual truth to the church and to us this morning. For God who said, let light shine in darkness, this great miracle has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. What God is saying is, if you are a believer here this morning, Jesus goes to Nicodemus and he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, how am I going to do that? I'm going to go back in my mommy's womb and be born again. It's impossible. Jesus says, no, I'm not talking about a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. And that does not come from you. That comes from God. Paul here is illustrating and breaking down Jesus' teaching in Nicodemus. You must be born again. And what that looks like is what God is doing through the power of His Holy Spirit in the same way that He created a universe, ex nihilo, out of nothing, what He is doing is He's going to human beings who are blind in their sin. I once was lost. I once was blind. We sing about it all the time. God is going to people and He is shining light into their darkened, dead hearts and he's giving the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, his own glory, in the face of Jesus Christ. And Paul is going back to Genesis chapter 1 to illustrate that profound reality. You are a born-again believer, and it's just as miraculous, in fact, you can make an argument, it is more miraculous than the creation of the universe. The church is a miracle. You had a group of people that were blind and dead in their sins, like Lazarus. God comes to you and he says, Lazarus, come out. And in the same way that God said, let there be light. 
And the light did not backtalk, but it came and responded. God has spoken to your dead heart, and he says, let there be light. And there was light. By grace you have been saved. We sang, come behold the wondrous mystery. The whole reason that all of this exists, the whole reason that you exist is from God, as Paul writes in Romans, through God, as Paul writes in Romans, and to God. And we're here this morning for the two. To Him be glory and honor and eternal dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen. We get to join with all the seraphim, the cherubim, and all the angels and glorify the Creator of it all. All of it is the meaning of your life. The thing that you were made to do is to worship and enjoy God. But get this, get this point. Even the revelation of God in a human body, even that adds nothing to His worth. It adds nothing to His value. It adds nothing to His majesty. The incarnate God-man Jesus Christ merely reveals to a fallen world what God has always been and forever will be. God has always been perfect. God has always been glorious. God has always been utterly beautiful. What Jesus Christ did was He just made Him known. Awesome. Hebrews 13.8 If you don't, I'm not making it up. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. Isaiah 44.8 Fear not, nor be afraid. This is God speaking through His instrument, Isaiah. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? Guys, this is about 600 years before Jesus walked the earth, by the way, here in Isaiah. And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. We should be, we will be, in eternal awe for an eternity and wonder over this God. Think about the seasons, for example. All this created order, it all points back to God. Look at the seasons themselves. Here, we're finishing summer. I can't wait for October. It's time to camp. But you've got the beautiful beauty everywhere. Leaves are falling. Things die. Winter comes. It's all frozen. It's all dead. Spring comes. Resurrection of life. Summer, we're outside enjoying it all. Creation, the seasons illustrate the gospel, the creation, the fall, the redemption, the restoration. Every story, every song, every movie, every painting, every poem. Think about it. Just think about the nature of every song, poem, movie, piece of art that's ever been produced. They all echo. There are echoes of what God has done and what God has done in Christ. Even if that's not their intention. Think about it. There's, there's some kind of a tragedy in about every movie, every song, every poem. And then there's, there's, a, there's either a salvation type of an experience or, there's, or it leaves you longing for it. And, every, and everything that's ever been written, whether that's the, the author's intention or not. There's a bad turn. It's a tragedy. And 
We either get salvation or we long for it. But Jesus Christ is the absolute and true revelation of this solitary, self-sufficient, creator of the theater, and even better, get this, Jesus is the creator of the theater. Jesus Christ is the one who made it all. Is he not God? The, the creator of the theater has taken on a human body. It is God in a, God in a human body. So what God has done in Christ is he has taken center stage on his theater and the spotlight has been cast upon him. And why is that great news for us? That is great news for us because he is the most beautiful and supreme treasure that is, exists. There's nothing more beautiful to set your eyes on than the creator of the universe. He's absolutely perfect. And he is the beauty that we've always longed for. He is, a, he is pleasure. He is joy. So when we read and when we study Genesis, I, I just want to encourage us as we move forward from week to week, let's don't get caught up too much in the secondary things. The point of all this stuff is Christ. Seven-day week points to Christ. He has become for us, according to the author of Hebrews, our Sabbath rest. The family unit illustrates Christ. We've already been through Ephesians. Husbands and wives reveal, illustrate the gospel. How we steward the earth images God. Ecosystems, economics, pop philosophies, physics, mathematics, art, all of it exists according to Paul from God, through God, and to God. Every bit of it. All the covenants that we're going to be covering here in Genesis, they all point to Jesus. Joseph is an illustration or a foreshadowing of what Jesus has become and who Jesus is. He never became, he's always been. We are in for an ex this is this is this is mind-blowing stuff. I hope you're hungry. I mean, we ought to be hungry for this stuff. This is what we're made to do. You've got, according to all these philosophers, Plato, Socrates, they describe an unmovable or an immovable mover. They never could figure out. They just knew there was some truth that was out there, like the uh, X-Files. The truth is out there. It's out there. We don't know where it came from, but there's somebody knocked over the first domino. But we, he cannot be known. Well, yes, he can. The immovable mover has made himself known in the face of Jesus Christ. Your truth that you've always longed for, the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. You want meaning? You find it in Jesus Christ. The immovable mover has revealed himself. And we'll just summarize, just, just leave you with a quick story, and I'm just... I was having a great discussion with my son the other night about Jesus and who Jesus was. And we were talking about what he did. And, um, and Jesus said, well, Daddy, uh, Jesus died on the cross. I said, well, that's exactly right. But did you know something, Silas? There's been thousands of men and women who have been crucified on a cross. What makes Jesus Christ different? Well, guys, we're hearing about it. The difference is that's the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe. Yahweh in the flesh. That is who is hanging on the cross. 
And the great news of the gospel is this. The one from whom we must be rescued is the one who has rescued us in Christ. You're not be, the one that you have rebelled against, you didn't rebel against Satan. You teamed up with him. You didn't rebel against yourself. You love yourself. You rebelled and committed cosmic treason against the creator of the universe, this great God. The one from whom you must be rescued is God himself and his wrath. What Jesus Christ did on the cross, and this is the glory of the gospel, if you can envision the cup of God's wrath, and as we move into our Lord's Supper here in a minute, hanging over the head of Jesus Christ, no one takes his life. What God did for you was he took his own wrath. The God-man, what only a God-man could do, only a God-man could take the wrath of God. He took the wrath of God and that cup was turned upside down on the head of Jesus Christ and he drank it down to the last drop. So Jesus Christ died for you, but the good news is also that he lived for you. Never once did he break a commandment of God. Only a God-man could do that. Only a man, uh, only God in the flesh could do that. Never once did he break a law. He kept it all perfectly. So Jesus Christ lived for you. He also died for you. And so the good news is this. You give Jesus Christ your sin. You give him your burden. You give him your slavery. You give him your dark, dead, black heart. And you nail that to the cross. And then you receive, like a gift with a big red bow on it, the righteous life of Jesus Christ. And he credits it to your account. So God now can be just and justifying you. That's the great news of the gospel. And that's what we're here to receive this morning. And uh, I'd just like to, to pray for us. But that is what separates Jesus from every other man that has ever died on a cross. So, in the beginning, God... And there was Jesus, like a master workman, delighting in the creation of the universe. And there is Jesus, 2,000 years ago, cutting into the painting that he made, that he painted, taking on a human body, clothing himself with a human body, and revealing the immovable mover to us, and revealing salvation. Have I not put salvation in Zion, God asks? He has. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this book of origins. Thank you for telling us about where we came from. God, Darwin doesn't know anything about the origin of species. You are the originator of every species that has ever existed. Blue whales, ants, supernovas, moons, stars, planets, gravity. God, you've done it all. And you have revealed yourself to us in Christ. You're a good God. You reveal that you're meek. You reveal that you're humble. You reveal that you're strong. You reveal that you're merciful, gracious, wrathful, and just, all on the cross. God, you've done it all. So, Father, we just stand here. We want to receive this morning. It is, it is that simple, God. We want to receive. We want to believe. We want to turn our eyes upon you as, as we sing and song. 
And God, that you would learn your word that in Zechariah that you rejoice over us with loud singing. So you're a singer, and we're made in your image. And so, Father, we just want to image you in our song this morning. And I pray that you would get a great um, pleasure out of our worship. God, thank you that it's not just a, just a cold, dead contract, but God, you've, you've put appreciation in our hearts that would not have existed had you not done all this. We thank you for that deep gratitude and appreciation you've given us in Christ. Amen. Amen. Stay in the sun, Jesus.